On today's episode, Rob Jones's PHT success story. Welcome to the podcast, helping you overcome your proximal hamstring tendinopathy. This podcast is designed to help you understand this condition, learn the most effective evidence-based treatments, and of course, bust the widespread misconceptions. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm an online physiotherapist, recreational athlete, creator of the Run Smarter series, and a chronic proximal hamstring tendinopathy battler. Whether you are an athlete or not, this podcast will educate and empower you in taking the right steps to overcome this horrible condition. So let's give you the right knowledge along with practical takeaways in today's lesson. We have uncovered another PHT success story. Uh, Rob Jones has come out of the woods. Uh, I found him on the Facebook PHT group and he made a post saying about his success and I reached out and said, can you share it? And so Rob is on to, to chat about his PHT experience. It first came about in uh, early 2018 when training for a running race and yeah, a whole bunch of insights, working out what doesn't work, what made it worse, and then eventually <laughs> what made it better. And hopefully you can take uh, a lot of these lessons away today and sort of implement it into your own rehab. And who knows, maybe once you start implementing these, you get significantly better, then you can reach out and we can jump on to do our own success story. I love Rob's story. You all will take so much away from this. And so let's dive in. Rob, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Yeah, it, no, it's good to talk to you and it's, it's good to have um, a bit of a story to tell, to be honest. Um, yeah, and people always ask for success stories. So yeah. let's dive in. Maybe just introduce yourself, uh, where you're from, and I guess what type of runner would you consider yourself? Yeah, so um, my name's Rob and I'm from a little uh, city called Worcester, um, not far from Birmingham, if anybody's heard of that. Um, I'm basically I'm, I'm four, a 40-year-old runner. Um, or was, am, however you want to put it. Um, preferred distance being kind of the marathon, but I've done all sorts down to, you know, 10K, 5K, even a bit of track stuff. Um, and I, I kind of started running just to get get fit, I suppose. I got to my early 30s and wasn't very fit. And, and then I joined the local athletics club and, and whatever and, and got it more into the competitive side of things, really. Nice. And I guess what's, like, in terms of, number of marathons completed do you know the a specific number uh i think i've done nine road marathons and, and one off-road marathon um at the last count i think it was um the last marathon being 2019 ah um, and i know we're going to talk about the phd in a second but any other injuries in your marathon career yeah there's been a few um i've had a bit of plantar uh plantar fasciitis um I can't remember if it was in my PHT side or, or the other side. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've had that and a bit of IT band trouble as well. Um, but nothing yeah. really significant. Um, you know, lo lots of little niggles that, that marathon runners get, but nothing horrendously bad. Okay, good to know. Well, cast us back to the time when these initial PHT symptoms, like the onset of symptoms arose, what was happening at that stage? And I guess, what was, what was that experience? Yeah. So I, I was doing, I was kind of building up to London marathon and it was, I'd entered myself into a, an off road race and I was using it as part of my training and about halfway round, I, I felt a bit of a, bit of a funny 
tug or a twang or I'm not sure how I'd describe it really in my hamstring and it wasn't particularly bad and I I got to the end of the race hobbled round and you know if you asked me on a pain scale what it would be I, I'd maybe say like a three out of ten or something um uh, and I had a bit of time off and it felt okay and I just continued to train on it um which I really regret now um I, you know I had London Marathon coming up and that was really I suppose I was almost a little bit obsessive about getting there and doing that um but it, things just got worse and worse from there really um mm. but if I if I'd got it treated properly and had the correct time off then I, I probably I, I probably wouldn't be talking to you now I guess right and I guess you're saying that most symptoms were kind of in the middle portion of the hamstring as it felt like a little bit of a tight strain sort of sensation well in, initially yeah it was like in the belly of the hamstring um but but later on it it it, it wasn't it was definitely in the upper part you know where the sit mm. bones are and, and whatever um definitely in the upper portion is where i had the real problem um i i guess the the thing I had in the belly of the hamstring and the, and the PHT is related. I think it must be because that's the only really thing that seemed to, to happen that, that could have caused the PHT, I guess. Um, but mm. I guess I'll never know for sure, but that that's kind of my gut yeah. feeling. And I struggle to really understand as well, because I've seen a few cases where people have reported a hamstring muscle strain that was like they either took time off or was mismanaged and yeah. that perpetuated into the proximal hamstring tendon being irritated. And that's usually what persists. It's like the hamstring tendon um, is something that does linger a lot longer than say a muscle strain. And why that is the case, why it leads from one to the other, I'm really unsure, but I've heard a couple of cases exactly like that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's when it all started. And, and basically, my symptoms from that day, um, they they got worse and worse over, you know, one, two, three, three, yeah, three years almost. Um, mm. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I regret not taking the, the proper um, precautions and, and getting the treatment that I needed, really. But... <sighs> Again, on the flip side of that is if I stopped at every niggle I had and got that looked at, I'd be seeing a physiotherapist every five minutes and, you know, I, you know, you'd never do any running, but, you know, it's, it really wasn't a significant thing to begin with. Mm. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. And did you make it to the London marathon did you persist through the London marathon with the hamstring issues yeah I did yeah I, so I, I I I continued my training um and I, I got to the marathon I completed that um but you know building up to that the symptoms kind of were different and they behaved differently and and different things happened with my hamstring you know the the symptoms I was having it they changed, you know, and the, the hamstring behaved differently at different times. But I think maybe get. What do you mean that. by that? Like, so why were they different? So, so initially, it was just the first few weeks. It was just a bit of discomfort in the belly of the hamstring. Um, then maybe after a couple of months, 
I had this kind of pain or, or discomfort, maybe not pain, discomfort would be the right word, in the top of my hamstring at the start of a run. Um, now that would disappear after a mile or two and I could complete any distance of, of run fine, um, you know, once it had warmed up and I, and I figured, oh, okay, you know, if it's not getting worse with running, it, it's it's actually eased off and got a little bit better. So it can't be bad, right? You know, that was my kind of feeling on it. Um, but then it, it progressed in the months after the marathon. Um, you know, I, at the start of a run, it would hurt. Um, the further I ran, it would get worse and worse. Um, sitting was worse, you know, all, all the usual things, really. Mm. And was this symptoms now originating like high up in the hamstring or was yeah, it yeah. still this, like a mid belly? No, this was all this was all high up in the hamstring now. So Okay. I, I guess maybe a couple of months after the initial kind of belly of the hamstring issue, then it was all high up in the hamstring, top of the hamstring. Okay. Um, well, over the subsequent months of after that marathon, like you say, things slowly started getting worse. Running became a little bit more painful. Sitting became a bit more irritated. Um, can you identify any things that may have helped the condition at that stage or any things that may have hindered your particular recovery? Um, certainly continue. So, um, stupidly, I, I, I basically... I used to do two marathons a year. So I, I then went and did an autumn marathon just as, you know, okay. just, as, just as you would. Um, but continuing to do high mileage was, in hindsight, it, it wasn't a, a good thing. Um, I, I still hadn't had a diagnosis at this point, And I believed that it was like um, a sciatic nerve thing um, or a sciatic nerve problem. Um, so I carried on with, you know, the running, the cycling. Um, I tried periods of rest, but it actually seemed to get worse with rest, to be honest. It, it didn't improve at all. Um, and then it, it wasn't really until I had an MRI scan that I, I started looking at different sort of treatments and things. Okay. Did someone send you to get an MRI? Um, no. So I went to my, I went to my doctor um, and I basically said, you know, I've had this pain when I sit. It's, it, you know, it's it's affecting me everywhere when I when I sleep, um, at meal times, everything. Um, you know, because uh, I, I said I, I think it's my sciatic nerve, and, and they sent me for a scan, an MRI scan. Um, and then it wasn't really until I got the diagnosis that I started to take to take it a bit more seriously. Mm -hmm. What did the MRI show? Can you remember? So, so it showed, yeah, it, it showed thickening of some of the tendons and I had a split in one of them as well. Um, I can't, I mean, a lot of the language was um, big boy, big boy words as I called them and I, I couldn't understand a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there was a thickening of the tendon and, and a split in the, in the one tendon. And I, I went to a physio who kind of analysed it all and, and he said, oh, you, you've got a quite a serious problem here. Um, uh, but yeah, it was, it, it was quite worrying at that time. Yeah. So 
that was kind of like the approach to eventually seek a physio was go to your GP, get an MRI, yeah, MRI exactly. report came back and then said, okay, probably time to start some physio. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, the initial physio I had wasn't, wasn't great. Um, I, I went to see a guy who he, he, he's a physio for um, Great Britain, one of their, in one of their disciplines, if you like. So he's a, you know, he's, he's, well well known i guess and quite well respected um but i went to see him and i walked in there and i gave him my mri mri report and he basically said that i'd have this for the rest of my life and i just had to manage it um he he gave me two or three exercises and, and basically sent my sent me on my way and I, I left fairly disheartened to be honest right can you remember what the exercises were yeah so he gave me um a, like a, a one-legged lunge on that was on a step sorry not mm-hmm. a lunge a squat sorry a, a squat on, on a single step. leg squat yeah yeah yep. single leg uh and a single leg deadlift as well was one um okay and, and and for where i was in my kind of rehab they were way too advanced for me like they mm. were just they were just causing quite big flare-ups they, they were just too too aggressive and I, I i basically just couldn't handle them and so, so that that didn't really work um so yeah that was a bit a bit of a a gutter to be honest mm. and was it just the one session with that like usually if you say you see like a pretty renowned specialist kind of physio uh, i've seen a lot of times it's just a one session off you go type of thing um was that the case for you well with this physio it was yeah i mean i saw i saw so many different people in different physios um but but with this particular physio yeah it was it was just the one session you know he didn't really seem like he could help me and and so the, there was no real reason to go back but i i went and saw um about three other physios i went and saw a chiropractor uh, and two osteopaths in total. So I, I saw the, the okay. whole caboose. <laughs> Were you gaining any information or gaining any helpful resources to, to manage your recovery? Um, so initially, no, but, but then um, the, at the, the start of last year, I went and saw a physio who, who kind of got me on my way. Um, she gave me a bit of a a rehab program with some structure and started my my uh, loading exercises like at a really low level like i was doing um a ham ham uh, holding a hamstring bridge for like five seconds uh which was you know real low level stuff i guess mm. um but th- that's what i needed to do like when she gave me those exercises i was thinking well what's this gonna do this you know um but you know that that was the level i was at realistically I, um so yeah she, she she gave me uh various other exercises um and then stressed like the importance of the the 24-hour rule as i as i call it and i'm sure you yeah you know when i call it that as well <laughs> yeah yeah maybe that's where i've got it from then yeah listening to your podcast <laughs> so yeah you know if, if the irritation's gone within 24 hours then it's fine um, and, and actually for me, it was, I found it important to irritate the tendon just slightly. Um, but only so as, you know, the next day it was, the irritation was gone, you know, and that kind of 
I went through a phase of not irritating the tendon at all. You know, as soon as I felt anything, I'd stop. You know, if I was on a run and I, I felt any little uh, niggle or whatever, I'd stop. I'd stop running. I'd stop mm. what I was doing. But just to go on that little bit more and just cause a little bit of a stir, was, I found to be a good thing in the, in the long term. Yeah. Well, that's why the 24-hour rule and those pain rules that we sort of advise is there in the first place because you, the job is to try and find yeah. that sweet spot of adaptation. And sometimes pain-free exercises and pain-free activities underloading you is actually doing you a disservice. Yeah, definitely. Whereas a little bit of discomfort, which you've sort of described, you, you sort of managed to kick on with your rehab and actually see progress once you started like provoking it a little bit and then provide the rest of the the pain rules uh, were abided by. Yeah, w- w- once I once I started provoking it, as you say, that's when I I kind of started to see um, the biggest improvements. I guess like it it wasn't very nice to do because you you felt like you were maybe taking steps back, but it definitely definitely helped. Just to you know, I'm not I'm not talking like you know, go on a ten mile run and so you can't walk for two weeks and what you know just just a little flare up is you know that only lasts you know twenty four hours is. is was a good thing for me anyway. Yeah. Great. And so what would you progress towards? What sort of exercises once you sort of went beyond the, the bridges and decide to provoke things further, what did that look like? Yeah. So, you know, bridges and then I, eventually I moved on to, to, to deadlifts just at home. Um, and, and I eventually managed to do squats. Um, I had to do kind of squats, but not, in a full range of movement, if you like, um, because I couldn't, but eventually I managed to get down. So my, my thighs were parallel to the ground. Um, uh, and then I, I think back in around December, January, I was listening to one of your podcasts and you were stressing the importance of, um, your rehab being progressive. And I'd got to a stage where I was doing all these squats and deadlifts, but I was doing the same amount every day and I was doing them at home with the same weights. Um, and that's when I kind of took my rehab to the gym, um, started using the weights there, squatting using a bar and, and heavier weights and, and deadlifts with bigger weight. And and that's when I really started to see like better progress. Yeah. Well done. Well done for taking that step. Yeah. Um, at its worst, what were <laughs> symptoms like? Like, did you have to give up running completely? What yeah. was like your sitting symptoms like? What what did that pathology progress into? So yeah, sitting sitting symptoms were fairly bad. Like um, I, I, I could maybe manage two minutes of sitting and then it would it would start really aching. Driving driving was um, was was not good. Long drives were horrendous. Um, I used to, I used to I used to stop at like every motorway service station just to get a bit of a, a bit of a break. It used to <laughs> used to drive my wife mad. Um, but yeah, it, yeah, the sitting wasn't great. Sorry, I've forgotten the second part of the question. Ah, <laughs> uh, just like how it was progressing, how much level of activity you were oh, doing, yeah, yeah, like yeah. running volumes, S- that stuff. Sorry, yeah. Uh, so I, I basically, I, at its worst, I stopped running for around eighteen months um, and became a a couch potato uh but a lying down one because i couldn't really sit um 
and I, yeah, I wasn't doing anything, and that was kind of in lockdown, I guess. We we had lockdown over here. Um, when would it have been? Mid twenty eight, twenty nineteen, um, twenty twenty. So yeah, it, I I didn't really do anything. Um, sleeping was bad. Um, I couldn't really lie on my side. That that was uncomfortable. Whether that that was related, I, I don't know. But I also had problems with kind of my quads as well. They seemed to be. I seem to have like what felt like a permanent groin strain uh, in in both sides. Right. Yeah. Um, and my quads would become like fatigued really easily. Um, now I don't, I don't know if that was related or not, but after having that as well for a year or whatever, that seems to have cleared up too. So I'm guessing that was you know somehow connected. Okay. So I guess from initially getting your symptoms before that marathon to then starting to do some home-based exercises. How long had you had the, the PHT for just as a like average? Yeah. So it, it would have been around two years. I mean, I, I had made attempts to do exercises before and I'd, you know, I'd do stuff on YouTube and I'd, I'd, you know, Google certain things, but often it was the wrong advice. And I, you know, I wouldn't keep the exercises going very long. I'd maybe do them three or four times, or I wasn't really aware of the importance of loading the tendon. I was, I was always under the impression that, oh, you know, if I rest, it's it's just like a broken bone. It'll it'll repair itself, which isn't the case. Um, and, and so I was never really religiously doing the exercises until kind of um, early last year. Okay, and you mentioned progressing towards getting some weights, doing some bridges, you mentioned squats, you mentioned deadlifts, yeah. anything else in your repertoire when you're at home? Um, so I, I would do a, a single leg bridge, um, which I would hold, um, and I would do kind of hamstring curls using a uh, resistance band. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, just a, a, mostly isometric. Oh, actually, sorry. As well, I do a Nordic hamstring curl with my. Um, oh. But but that was more of an advanced. That wasn't an initial exercise. That was kind of towards the towards the latter part of my home rehab. Um, yeah. But yeah. Going through that routine, like how often throughout the week would you do them? How, how many times would you complete it, that particular routine? Yeah. So I tried, I tried to do it four or five times a week. Um, tried to do it for, which, which was tough. You know, you, it was trying to fit it in or, around things. Uh, and it, it got to the point as well with the home routine where I was doing like, I, I, I'd up the reps so high. I was doing like 90 squats, uh, and 70 deadlifts. But they were just body weight, you know. The deadlifts were with minim, minimal, minimal weight, and the, the squats were body weight. So there was no, there was no real trouble doing them. Eventually, I mean, I know that sounds like a lot, but I, I built up to that, and eventually they weren't challenging, which was why my kind of progress plateaued. I think. Hmm. Well, you know, the first time I heard about you was actually replying to one of my. Um, posts on, on a Q&A episode asking for questions. And you did mention that your home exercises saw a plateau in your recovery yeah. and it wasn't until things really kick-started 
that um, once you got into the gym and started doing some heavier stuff, um, yeah. if you can remember, I guess, where did it plateau to? So what, what sort of improvements did you see just with your home-based exercises? Yeah, so I was able to start run walking um, and, and sitting was definitely improving. Um, you know, but I was definitely still having trouble for sitting, you know, long periods. And I, I don't think I could have run for, you know, for any length of time, really. Um, I mean, but, but generally, you know, it, it definitely improved. Um, but I, I just, yeah, I just feel like the, the gym really, you know, got, th got things kind of going. Um, I mean, I, I did go to the gym when I got my diagnosis and uh, after I saw the physio that told me, you know, he, he couldn't do anything for me, I, uh, I Googled PHT treatments uh, and, and, and found like squats, deadlifts. And I, I went to the gym and just absolutely beasted myself on everything. Uh, <laughs> and, and then my, my tendon didn't thank me for it because it just wasn't the right, you know, I wasn't at that stage at all. Um, so, but, yeah, it's uh, you know, I, I saw, I saw, I saw good improvements, but but you know, in regards to getting back to running and and running a marathon again, I I knew I kind of needed to do a bit more. It's like when I talk to people jumping on like the injury chats that I offer. It's very common for someone to, because not not everyone that develops PhD is an athlete, um, yes. so not a lot of them will have a gym membership or weights at home or gym equipment and they sort of ask like what can I do with no equipment I, I always say to them like you're very you're limiting yourself quite a lot you're only just giving yourself a ceiling in terms of the how much you can progress and how much you can how much improvement you can see because tendons do want that slow heavy load and I guess your story is a perfect example of really doing well strength wise at home you know the 70 squats yeah. 90 squats and deadlifts and that sort of stuff. So you've progressed quite a lot, but still not seeing a big improvement compared to what athletic endeavors you have, mm. like your, your ambitions are marathons. So your requirements need to be quite substantial and the weights and exercises that you were doing at home just wouldn't suffice. It gets you to a certain point, but just wouldn't take you to that final stage. So it's, it's interesting that like that story and that particular, um, those particulars kind of lay out. And when you got to the gym, what was, what changes did you make? So in terms of weight and repetitions and how frequently you're doing it throughout the week, how did that change? Yeah. So in the initial stages, I, I took it steady, you know, I'd sit on the hamstring curl machine and I'd think, well, I, I don't want to, you know, absolutely destroy myself on this, you know, I don't want to set myself back, you know? So I took it, I took it steady, you know, I, 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 I can't remember exact weights of what I did, but I, I started at something that I thought was 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 comfortable but, but manageable. Um, and I, mm -hmm. the, the same, I guess, with the the, the squats and the deadlifts. I, I I didn't do what I thought I could lift. I, I I did a bit less, and you know, I went from doing ninety to doing three lots of eight, as as you suggested, um, and 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 building that up. Um, but I found the three lots of eight with some weight a lot more challenging than doing ninety, just just body weight squats. Um, and there you go. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> d definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, and 
I can't remember what I started on exactly squat wise, but you know, I've, I've built that up over time and I'm now squatting, uh, 50 K. Uh, I did four lots of 12 the day before yesterday. So I, I've no idea if that's good in terms of, you know, a 40 year old male or, or whatever, but you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, not bothered and I'm, I'm ready to yeah. up it a bit and add a bit more weight on that now. Yep. That's substantial. It'd be close to what, like 70, 80% of your body weight and yeah. squatting four sets of that's pretty good. Yeah. So, um, I think when you're talking about the hamstring curl machine, are you talking about the one where you're facing face down or the seated one? No, the, when you're so the, the seated sitting. one, which, um, I know people have a bit of trouble with because of the compression and, the, and, and whatever else, but yeah, it's the seated one. So I was always a bit wary of that, but it's, it's been okay luckily um i i initially i did get a little bit of discomfort using it but but never a flare-up or anything that caused me any problems so mm-hmm. uh, and that even the, the little discomfort i used to get now is is fine and i've managed to up the weight on that a, a fair bit now so that, that's that's good as well nice yeah were you following the same particular um approach of irritating it just a little bit and then paying attention to it afterwards when you're in the gym yeah yeah so so just keeping an eye on it on everything really um you know it when i was you know doing my my squats and whatever i wasn't going out of my way to irritate it because i was i was already doing you know the weight with the the squats and with the deadlifts and 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 so i initially i just took it cagely but i found that it they didn't become irritated really with, with the, with the gym work. Um, and I actually found that, you know, some days I'd go to the gym and I'd think, ah, should I, should I be doing this? My tendon doesn't feel, you know, 100% here. Should, should I do this? And, and then I would actually, it would actually improve for doing the exercises. Like, so, you know, I, I come out with the tendon feeling better and with no flare up. So that was a bit strange, but you know, I'm not, I'm not complaining. That was a, that was a pretty good thing. <laughs> yeah. It can get to that stage. Like we know that slow, heavy load or like loaded exercises has a, a benefit, like an immediate benefit of a, what we call yeah. analgesic effect. If you do have a bit of discomfort, those heavy exercises tend to settle down pain for some, not for everyone, but mm. That's probably what you're experiencing every time you went into the gym. Yeah. I'm, and how about the running? Was that building up alongside your gym program? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I got a little bit distracted because I'd also started spin classes at the gym and I was doing my loading and, and the running was now taking a bit of a back seat. But then I thought, well, I, I need to get my running kick started because that's kind of my end goal. Um, and, and so, yeah, that, that's been improving. Um you know, I, I started run walking kind of the end of last year, um, you know, just one minute, one minute walk, one minute run. Um, and, you know, the same thing, there was, there was definitely discomfort at times in the tendon when I was doing that. Um, but as long as it was gone the next day, then I, I was just progressing that further and further. Um, and it, I've kept progressing up and up until, you know, just recently. How long has it been now? How long have you maintained this gym routine? Uh, so, do you do you mean with the the weights or the 
the, the, the loading. Just and... like in general, from when you first jumped into the gym to today, like how long have you been spending in the gym doing this routine? So, so since since January, really. Um, I mean, I, I have been doing mm-hmm. spin classes for a while now, but I never really considered using the gym for my rehab. I was never really ready for it, but I was, I've been doing spin for about 18 months. But in terms of the, the loading and the the exercises and the weights in the gym uh, since since January. I was going to say, what would symptoms be like currently? Like, so what sort of stuff are you facing in terms of running, sitting, exercises? Yeah, so things at the moment are, are, are really, really kind of good. Um, I recently sat for kind of four hours on a flight with no issue. Um, I went to see um, a cricket game also in one of those hard plastic chairs they have in the stadiums. And, and I sat on that for like four hours. Um, well, I'd say for it, there was a couple of mandatory runs to the bar, but yeah, mm-hmm. you know, understandable. Yeah. Yeah. So there was four hours on one of those hideous chairs, which I thought, ah, oh, this is not going to go well, but to my surprise, just, you know, it was good. Um, I've recently got up to 16 miles on my long run too. Um, which is, which is great. So, and, and that was, you know, with no, no, no pain or flare up or anything. So that was, that was really a, a bit of a result that I was, you know, pretty happy about. Excellent. Well done. Um, back on your whole journey, have there been any things that you did try or maybe you were suggested or what health professionals might've prescribed to you that that weren't that effective yeah so i, ha- I did have shockwave i had two lots of four se- sessions of shockwave um which i i don't feel like they helped at all i, I feel like they really irritated the tendon short term um to the point where i couldn't do my loading exercises for like a week or so um but but nothing they, i don't feel like they did anything for me long term um I mean, I, I went to one physio with the attention, intention of having PRP injections, um, but he basically told me that he'd been involved in a study um, with them and they, they didn't, there was no evidence to suggest that they worked. So that was a, that was kind of a, a no-go. Um, mm-hmm. But apart from those two things, not, not really. Okay. Excellent. Well, sounds like you've made considerable gains so are you still maintaining the same sort of routine in the gym just you know slowly progressing as as the body feels fit yeah yeah definitely i'm i'm kind of scared to um to stop to be honest (laughs) i I mean and i never did any strength work before i had the phd so you know it might even complement complement my running so it it can only it can only be a good thing so i think I'll, i'll carry on regardless and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go, go to the gym tomorrow, I guess. Um, cause I, I need to get another session in this week. So yeah, mm-hmm. tomorrow will be gym day. You mentioned squats, deadlifts, um, seated hamstring curl. Is there anything else relative to your rehab? Um, I get I do get on the leg press. Um, I like the leg press and what else do I do? I have tried some hip thrusts as well. And also walk, I've done some walking lunges with some dumbbells. Um, mm-hmm. I, I usually do those or split squats. I'm not really sure 
which of those is more beneficial. So I tend to alternate them. Um, yep. But yeah, so, something that, you know, gets a bit of flexion at the hip and some compression with a bit of weight. And, you know, I, I struggled to do squats for a long, a long time. Uh, sorry, lunges for a long time. Um, so yeah, to, to be doing those with weight is a, you know, that, that feels good. Yeah, you're definitely going to become a strong runner with these sort of exercises. <laughs> yeah. The only thing you're missing is essentially calf raises and that, that you tick off all the the strength exercises I'd like to see for okay, a runner. Okay, yeah, maybe I can add those in. I mean, I, I do get on the leg extension <laughs> machine, which is a, a, a quad machine. Um, so I, I, mm -hmm. I've got a healthy quad. So yeah, maybe just to get on the calves and then I'll be complete. Yeah, ticking all the boxes. <laughs> All right, mate. Well done. Well, congratulations to, I guess, take the initiative to start the gym membership and actually, I know it seems a bit daunting for some people to start a new routine, new gym. What do the exercises look like? What are the, you know, it's, it's, it lacks the familiar sense and it can be a big hurdle for a lot of people, but well done. Well done for sticking it out, learning about it and progressing and seeing the good results. It seems like it's a it's um, been a game changer for you. Yeah, it has. Yeah, thank you. Um, I mean, I, I, I still get a bit, you know, when I go over to the squat rack, I'm still a bit nervous. And if there's, you know, some bodybuilding guy in there with, you know, it's, <laughs> I, I do get a bit, uh, I'll wait until he's gone before I get in there. But I, I always make sure it gets done. So It's unfortunate that it's such an intimidating yeah. environment for some people. And, you know, sometimes it's a bit ego driven for some big bodybuilders that go there. But um, a conversation for another day. Any yeah. final takeaways or final pieces of advice that you might have for someone who does have PHT and is struggling with their rehab? Yeah. So what what I would say is um, the, the physio that helped me the most, she suggested that I keep a diary of my rehab. Um, and at the time I thought, oh, I'm not sure about this. Um, but I actually wrote things down, like what I was doing in terms of exercises um, and then later on in, in terms of my, my runs. Um, and because progress can seem quite slow, it, if you keep a diary of it, you can look back and, you know, sometimes I would have thought, oh, I'm, I'm not getting anywhere here. I'm still on these squats and I'm, I'm only doing this many or, or whatever. But I'd look back and four weeks later, I'd see that I was doing significantly less. But I, I'd just forgotten because, you know, you're doing so many exercises and, and time seems to go so slowly that you just you just forget where you yeah. are. So I think it's definitely worth keeping a diary of what you've done. And with the running, like I, you know, if, if I completed a, a three mile run, I'll maybe have a little bit, bit of irritation at the end, but I might see that three weeks earlier, I'd only done a one mile run and that was irritated at the end. So, you know, you, you, you I think you get a better idea of where you're at and, and it's, it's, it can be demoralizing if you think you're not making progress, especially if you are. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to identify long-term trends. Yeah. I've seen tons of people who are just saying, I'm not getting anywhere. And you say, well, hang on, look back four weeks ago. Um, yes, you're probably lifting the same amount, but look at your symptoms. Look at how exactly. much you can tolerate your sitting now. Let's mm. how much our sore it is in the morning compared to how it was. Like those sort of things won't be picked up unless you are writing things down and identifying that long term trend. That's a good tip. Any other final takeaways? Um, yeah, so I, I would say just I, I, I made this mistake um, several times, um, but I'd, I'd say when you get your exercises, find the exercises that are right for where you are in your rehab. 
so I mentioned at one point I dived in and went to the gym and hit the gym and I just wasn't my tendon wasn't ready for it whatsoever you know um and it it just didn't get me anywhere so you know if if you need to start with isometrics or, or whatever it might be um then then do that but don't just jump straight in at the the deep end and you know get on the deadlifts and with the I don't know 80 kg and and be smashing those out um if if you're not yeah. ready for it because it just it, it didn't work for me anyway it, it uh and it, it it just gets demoralizing when you have a bad flare-up yeah that's good advice i the amount of times i've seen people do their bodyweight bridges see initial success and then be told they need to start doing deadlifts and then they yeah. do three sets of 10 full range of movement deadlifts and just flares them up for a week and then they're scared for the you know for a long time and just stick to their what they know to be safe <clears throat> when in fact you know deadlifts are good it just yeah. what is the right stage for you no one no one knows until you give it a try with a an initial i guess safe amount and then just progress from there um yeah great advice yeah anything else it's definitely trial and error um no i think i think that's it really um that's uh, I've, I've, well i mean you, you could say you know if, if something's not working then maybe maybe change it up change it up a little bit you know um mm. change things around if you know if you're if you're doing like i was i was doing exercises and just being quite safe with them um and i spent ages doing that and and, and not really making much progress so i I eventually thought, oh, you know, I might just provoke the tendon a little bit, and and that little change just just seemed to, you know, really kickstart things off. Um, and yeah, it eventually, well said. Yeah, eventually got me to the gym. But, yeah. Nice. Well, Rob, um, it's a good story. It's it's got a lot of little nuggets in there for a lot of PHT sufferers to take away. So. Well done for being a good student of the podcast, like listening to the podcast and like sort of knowing what needs to be implemented and seeking out that taking action. And um, the story will help a lot of people. So thanks for coming on and sharing. No, thanks for having me. It's, it's been great. Thanks once again for listening and taking control of your rehab. If you are a runner and love learning through the podcast format, then go ahead and check out the Run Smarter podcast hosted by me. I'll include the link along with all the other links mentioned today in the show notes. So open up your device, click on the show description, and all the links will be there waiting for you. Congratulations on paving your way forward towards an empowering, pain-free future. And remember, knowledge is power.